In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. So hospitality has nothing to do with your friends. And the third thing is, hospitality is not a place. In other words, it has nothing to do with your house. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. From Men in the Arena, it's Equipping Men in 10. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we We salute salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Equipping Men in 10, and I am Jim Ramos, and I'm here with my good friend and producer of the show, Dale Culver. What is the word, buddy? The word today is a man law. Don't oh. continue to do something just because it quote unquote works. Be careful that you are not falling into the comfort zone and maybe God is has something greater for you. So that's oh. so you know it, there is the part of like hey this works you you do it cuz it makes sense, but maybe it needs to be broken. Yeah, that's like chocolate chip ice cream, man. You just moved away from vanilla there, man. That's really good. Oh, well, the two you. things I've been working on right now uh, are quotes that relate to that. One is make decisions against yourself. Yeah. Like I'm constantly having to decide against my own comfort. And the other one uh, is from a friend of mine, Rick Robinson. We had Rick on the show recently, and Rick says, create a crisis. <laughs> he just loves to create a crisis. Yeah. And so I think those are the two things that let's always create a crisis. Let's always make decisions against ourselves. Let's let's uh, force ourselves into change, into new ways of doing things. Let's not get comfortable. So that's really good, man. I appreciate that. Uh, guys, if you haven't signed up for one of our five Fall Cycle virtual teams, uh, you need to do that ASAP. Otherwise, we're going to have to move you to the winter cycle. Uh, we've got some great guys. Listen, it's one thing to listen to the podcast it's another thing to get on the forum and listen to that. It's another thing to follow us on social media. But really, the rubber meets the road in you becoming your best version when you get into a group with other men. Mm-hmm. And if you're not in a group, you need to do that. And, if uh, man, we got these virtual teams going with our national team captains. This is the bread and butter, guys. Or go to our website, meninarena.org, pick up one of our books, pick up the free resource that just went online, tell them. Uh, 200 things or things that great dads tell their children. I don't know what the subtitle is. Uh, I've changed it a hundred times. <laughs> so anyway, but go get that resource. Find our resources, and we everything we do is to help the man in the bubble, the man in the stress bubble, to become his best version. So, man, get going on that. Don't be passive. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about the next chapter 
in my book, The Full Capacity Man. As you know, that book will be released in June. We will have that by Father's Day, even though the rough draft is written. And now we're just going through the process, and we want to we really want to sell a million, million copies of this book, and so we just want to do it right. And I usually go too fast, and so now we're going to go at the speed of uh, whatever the speed is that does things better. So we're going to go at that speed. <laughs> so the, the, today we want to talk about The Hospitable Man, and the subtitle of this chapter is, this may be my favorite subtitle. It's very simple. Mi casa es su casa, which is Spanish for something. Anyway, uh, I, I want to talk about this because I think we don't understand what the word hospitable means. Uh, in the Bible, Titus chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, and 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it says this, the overseer, in other words, the spiritual leader, which should be the goal of every man, must be hospitable. Francis Bacon once said, if a man be gracious and courteous to strangers, it shows he is a citizen of the world. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, we read this, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. And then lastly, I want to share a verse, Romans 12, 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. So I, have you seen the movie Lone Survivor, Dale? Oh, yeah. So Lone Survival is Marcus Luttrell's personal account of the unsuccessful 2005 counterinsurgent mission Operation Red Wings, during which a four-man SEAL team was given the task of tracking down a Taliban leader. A movie of the same title was produced in 2013. Three of the four team members were killed after being discovered by local herdsmen, subsequently ambushed, and Luttrell as the lone survivor was left unconscious with several fractures, a broken back, and numerous shrapnel wounds. He was ultimately rescued after local Pashtun villagers, uh, one of them being Mohammed Gulab, and his fellow villagers protected them against the Taliban-linked militia in northeastern Afghanistan. So the Pashtun people, Dale, these people live according to an ancient and fiercely independent tradition called Pashtunwali. A Pashtun Wali has 13 primary principles and three major principles of the 13. And two of those three are this, Melmastia, which is hospitality. It's showing hospitality and profound respect to all visitors, regardless of race, religion, national affiliation, or economic status, and doing so without any hope of remuneration or favor. The second one is the, is asylum, and the word they use is nanwate. People are protected at all costs, even those running from the law, and must be given refuge until the situation can be clarified. So under those two laws, the Pashtuni people took Latrell in and defended him uh, literally to the death. And so when we look at this word hospitality, we have wrongly interpreted it in our society to mean certain things. And so I want to blow up a couple myths of hospitality because when I learned what hospitality was and was not, it was life-changing for me. This, ironically, is the shortest chapter of the whole book, but it's probably the most profound. First thing, hospitality, guys, is not a spiritual <laughs> gift. Why are you laughing? Because it's not. It's, it's... So when you take spiritual gifts test, <laughs> hospitality is usually listed and it cracks me up because it is not a spiritual gift. It just isn't. People say this all the time to me. Well, I would invite more people into my home, but it's not a spiritual gift. Well, in that statement, they make two inaccurate determinations of the word hospitality. 
The first one is it is not a spiritual gift. Now, listen, in 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 10, Peter says this, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. People say that that verse is a reference to a spiritual gift. Well, it absolutely is not, and it's not even in the sections that talk about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Romans chapter 12. This is You cannot read this and call that a spiritual gift just because the word gift is used somewhere in the passage. So, Hospitality is not mentioned, as I said earlier, in any of the three primary sections dedicated to spiritual gifts. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 31, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 19, and Romans 12, verses 1 through 18. And similarly to that 1 Peter 4 passage that I read, this Romans chapter 12 passage does not talk about spiritual gifts. Let me read it to you. Tell me if you hear hospitality as a spiritual gift, Dale. Paul writes, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And people have put that in as a spiritual gift. It is not a spiritual gift. People, listen, do not sit on your hands and use this excuse that it is not my gift. Hospitality is not a spiritual gift. Second thing is this. Hospitality is not entertaining people you know. <laughs> Ray Pritchard, in his book, Man of Honor, explains our misunderstanding of hospitality this way. He says, quote, Unfortunately, we think hospitality is what happens when we get dressed up and invite our friends over for a party. That's nice, and it's good, but it's not hospitality. So hospitality has nothing to do with your friends. And the third thing is, hospitality is not a place. In other words, it has nothing to do with your house. Mm -hmm. So we think if I invite people into my house, I'm being hospitable. Yeah, you're being hospitable, but you are not practicing the biblical component of hospitality. So that's what I want to share. It is not a spiritual gift. It is not entertaining people you know, and it is not a place that you go to do that. The subtitle of this chapter is, uh, Sukasa es mi casa. Your house is my house. And like the ancient Pashtun people, hospitality was a highly, in the time of Jesus, it was a highly, highly sought after virtue in the early church. In fact, Dale, the church would never have grown as rapidly as it did if it were not for hospitality. Hospitality and evangelism were linked very close together in the times of Jesus. Now, what people don't realize was there were, there were great Roman persecutions from the Roman emperors Nero in A.D. 54, Marcus Aurelius in A.D. 161, Decius in A.D. 249, Gallus in 251, and Valerian in 253. So just as the church, the first couple year, hundred years of the church's growth and explosion, the Christians were being tremendously persecuted, banished, and rendered homeless. And so as these evangelists spread their message, they had to find safe places where people would house them. You know, I raised my kids with this one phrase. I don't know if you did, Dale. Did you ever use this phrase your kids, stranger danger? Yeah. So we live in a soft culture 
with helicopter moms and bulldozer dads, and we teach our children to run from strangers. Strangers are bad. The problem with that, bro, is you're a stranger to somebody. It's true. I'm a stranger to somebody. So I think there is prudence in teaching our kids to be wise about talking to people they do not know, but we have to teach our children that strangers are a great opportunity to minister. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the five-year-old kid should go up to a 27-year-old man and go, hey, can I give you a burger? I see you holding a sign there. It says you're homeless. But I think a five-year-old kid can treat somebody in their classroom who they do not know with love and with hospitality. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're talking about here. When Jesus, Jesus actually used this method when he modeled the sending of the 70 in Luke chapter 10. He sent them out and he said, hey, go into homes and have people take care of you, practicing this thing of called hospitality. Uh, ancient churches had no church buildings for worship, so without hospitality, they had, no, they had no place to meet. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, Paul writes this, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Then again in Colossians 4.15, Paul writes, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha, and the church that is in her house. So this fledgling church of Christ grew because of hospitality. Mm-hmm. So, Dale, have you heard of the word in the news, xenophobia? Yes. Okay, it's a word that is described, uh, used to describe uh, people who are afraid of immigrants. Oh, you're afraid of strangers. You have a fear of strangers, so build the wall. You're a xenophobic person, all this, which is completely out of context. Correct. The word, the word originally meant a fear of strangers. So what Paul is using here, instead of saying fear strangers, the word for hospitality is the word philoxenia. Now, philo is where we get the word for brotherly love. So it's a love of another person. And xenia is the word stranger. So xenophobia is a fear of strangers. Philoxenia is a love of strangers. So instead of teaching our kids don't be a, you know to to stranger danger, we should we often use the phrase right, don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger. Because we're saying, hey, I want to maintain this relationship with you. You're important to me. So xenophobia uses those two. Greek words, xenos meaning stranger and phobos meaning phobia or fear to say don't do this. Instead, philo, brotherly love, and xenos, stranger, love, fellow strangers. So are you catching me here? That's good. Hospitality has nothing to do, biblical hospitality, with people you know. Right. It is about that dude hitchhiking on the road. It is about that that lady holding a sign. It is about that uh, evangelist or that preacher that comes to your church and needs a place to stay. It is about housing people who you do not know. That is what hospitality, it's inviting people into your church. Here's what it's also, Dale. It's on Sunday morning. I do this on purpose. On Sunday morning, I have a circle of buddies. I'm always talking to my buddies on Sunday. I always make sure to move, move over to create a gap in my circle so there's always room for another guy. I do that all the time, and I'll pull guys over. Hey, bro, come over here, and I'll pull a guy in who our group does not know into our circle so they feel welcome. So mm, it's it's, it's it's looking at and these people that we don't know are people in our churches. They're people in our schools. They're people who whose parents play with our 
who, whose parents are parents of the kids our, play, our kids play sports with, with. These are people that we just don't know. They're not these scary, evil, dangerous people. They're just people that we don't know, and that's how we get to know them. You know, I've shared on the chaplain of the Linfield University football team, right? And and I walk on the field every Wednesday to do a little short devotional and a prayer time. There's 157 athletes and coaches on the field, and I know none of them. The only way I can get to know those guys is to practice hospitality and to walk up to strangers and say, hey, man, how you doing? I'm mm-hmm. Jim Ramos. So that's good. So in First Timothy three two, Paul uses this word philozenia to describe hospitality. It literally means being generous and caring for people we don't know. It is where we get the word hospital. In the context of this word, what does a hospital do, Dale? Takes care of the sick. So philozenia is where hospitality is where we get the word hospital. So, Dale, think about this. In the context of philoxenia, what does a hospital do? They take in people that, like, the doctors take in people they don't know to help them. That's exactly right. You go to a doctor who you do not know to seek help. And that's the beautiful thing of a hospi- hospitality and a hospital. You know, I, I shared earlier, last year we had a young man live in our house. Uh, he had some real... Uh, uh, serious stuff happened in his life where his dad ended up going to jail for almost two decades for it, and he needed a place to stay that was a sanctuary. And so we allowed this young man to live at our house rent-free for a year while he finished up his bachelor's degree. About three months in, he said, man, this is the giving home. And we were like, what are you talking about? Because we we, you know, probably live in the top 40% of people. We have a, a nice house, but not huge. It's very average-ish, you know, but he, he this is the giving house. Well, what does that mean? He said, you're always giving stuff to people, and people are always wanting to give stuff to you. And I was like, oh, well, that's just what we do. We take people into our house. We offer ourselves to other people. We have a garage gym, and anybody can use it. And about six months later, he came over to us. He says, I want to be a part of this, and he bought us a Peloton. I've shared this story before. Mm-hmm. But, but all of that came from us being hospitable to him, showing a young man who we never had met before, hospitality. You know, he gave his life to Christ while he was living at our house. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason that happened was because he had several families in his life that were practicing hospitality with him, mm-hmm. and he saw Jesus through that. And that's what we're talking about now. So the foundation of hospitality is love, and that's what I love about the church. You know, I was mentored in youth ministry by a guy, the founder of Youth Specialties, Mike Iaconelli. He died in 2003. But he used to joke that the church is the place you go to hang out with people you don't like. Mm-hmm. And I told That's one of true. my sons that the other day, and they're like, that, I don't, that doesn't make sense. And I go, well, think about it. <laughs> if it wasn't for Jesus, Dale, you and I would never be hanging out. Nope. Honestly, never. We just run in different circles. We're different. We're 10, 8 years apart in age. Uh, I was in California, you in Oregon. I mean, because of Christ, we are brothers, right? And so, mm-hmm. so the church brings us together, but it starts with hospitality. At some point... We have to uh, initiate a conversation with someone we won't, we don't know. And I want to close this chapter with a warning that, quite frankly, scares the hell out of me. And Jesus makes a statement, and the statement is all about hospitality. So, in light of what we've learned today about hospitality, I want you to read. I want you to listen to this, listeners, guys, listen, guys, men in the arena, listen to this. 
we think this is some kind of big, deep spiritual thing, and I want to push, and I want to add, I think Matthew chapter 25, verses 41 through 45, is Jesus confronting the Pharisees about hospitality. Now listen, Jesus said, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I was I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. All of those situations deal directly with somebody that you do not know. Mm-hmm. Every one of them. They will answer, Lord, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Jesus said this, he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you do not do for the least of these, talking about strangers, I believe, you did not do for me. Guys, mm. mi casa es su casa. Estas en su casa? Dale, take us home, man. Guys, why don't you head on over to midinthearena.org and join our program. Also, we'd love for you to subscribe and share this podcast. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.